on this episode of TR Talk. Immediately after winning the gold in London in 2012, like there was this whirlwind media tour. Like I flew straight from London to LA to be on the Jay Leno show, right? I was welcomed by reporters and family and friends. I had a parade in my hometown. I was invited to speaking engagements and doing wrestling camps and sporting events to throw out the first pitch and to be announced out on the field. And it was such a lonely travel home. It was almost like I had the scarlet letter. Oh shit, folks. We're back. We did it. Friends, family, my brothers. It's TR Talk with Tommy Lamo and yours truly, Ryan Warner. Today, folks, we have Jordan Burroughs, Olympic gold medalist, multiple-time world champion, multiple-time NCAA champion, one of the most accomplished American wrestlers to ever live. The guy is his own shoe, for God's sake, people. All right, And being a former wrestler, this one was a real treat for me. We go into his run up to the Olympics, his Olympic gold medal win in 2012, and then the heartbreak in 2016 and how he's rebounded. Really enjoyed this one and hope you folks do too. Now, before we get into it, I want to give a quick shout out to our TR Talk fan of the week, Jim Scanlon. It's the biggest Jets fan you ever met in your entire life. Jim, I'm kidding. We know you love the Pats. Take it easy. Sit back down. Get to the bar in Southie and have a Sam Adams on me, will you? Now, if you want to support the podcast, three things for you. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. And post us out to the interwebs via your social platforms. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into the interview with Jordan Burroughs from Lincoln, Nebraska. Take care. All right, Jordan Burroughs, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you guys for having me. Good morning to you. Good morning, man. And again, thank you for taking the time. We're really excited for this. We're going to get into your career and, and some of the major milestones of your, your wrestling life. I'd love to take it back, though, to Sicklerville, New Jersey, take it way back and learn what your childhood was like. Yeah, interestingly enough, I started wrestling at five years old, right? And so I was the first and still the only person in my family to wrestle. Neither of my parents either or even played organized sports as kids, right? And so it was such a unique situation. I grew up in a household where my dad was a huge sports fan, but it just never was for him. He grew up in the city. My mom grew up in the city. And so one day I just brought home a flyer from my elementary school. Like, hey, join the local youth wrestling program with the Winslow Eagles. My mom was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll take you over, see what it's like. We were big fans of the WWF as kids. And so we thought it was going to be like similar to what we saw on SmackDown and Raw. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got there and we were like, this is like unique. It's crazy because I remember when I was a kid, I got a pair of John Smith wrestling shoes, right? And I, I was in seventh grade and I got a pair of John Smith's. My mom, went, we were at a tournament. They had this little booth at the tournament where they were selling wrestling shoes. And the most expensive shoes at the time, like the nicest, like the Jordans of wrestling were John Smith's. And I didn't even know who John Smith was. I just knew that he had really nice shoes. And so my mom was like, hey, listen, if you win this tournament, I'll buy you a pair of these shoes. And lo and behold, you know, 15 years later, I'm chasing this record for most world championships ever. And so it's, it's interesting stuff. I had a pretty solid childhood. I was the youngest of four, started wrestling at five, wrestled all throughout my childhood, throughout high school, was a one-time state champ at Winslow Township High School. I went to a school. We didn't have much of a pedigree or 
a very rich tradition in wrestling, but we had a solid coach. Um, and he really just taught us how to wrestle at the next level. He had never wrestled in college. He had never wrestled at an international stage, but he knew what it was like to be a solid individual. And he knew what we would see and face at the next level. And so he just kind of groomed us, molded us into the young man we needed to be if we were going to expect to wrestle at the next level. And so it was extremely helpful. We had a lot of fun. He came at a great time and we had a good team. We just had a good team at that time with a lot of guys. We all grew up in the same neighborhood. We were next door neighbors. We rode the same bus. We were in the same classrooms with the same teachers. And so by the time we got to high school, we kind of already had that rapport with each other where we fed off of each other for success. We were competitive rivals and we pushed each other to get to the next level. Cool. And, and you mentioned that you're the only wrestler in the family. Your parents didn't play organized sports. Were they, how was their support system when you were growing up into wrestling? Like, were they pushing you to get better? Was it, were they pushing you to stick only with wrestling, play other sports? Or were they just kind of like, hey, whatever uh, Jordan's, you know, happy doing, we're just going to support that? Yeah, they were like, they struck the perfect balance, right? Because my mom was more of a compassionate, empathetic figure, right? I cry every time I lost when I was a kid. I'd go hide under the bleachers. My mom would come and rub my back. Like, it's okay. Like, just come on out. My dad would come over. Like, <laughs> I've all been there. Yeah, my dad's like, yo, get out right now. <laughs> he, he would snap. He was like, hey, if you don't want to cry, then you win. And so he would, he would like, he, was, he wasn't messing around. My dad was like, he was unique because although he hadn't come from a sports family, like he was tough and in the aspect that, he understood what it took to reach the highest level. And so, like, he never cut me any slack. I remember I had a big tournament when I was a kid. It was the county championships. And the county championships were a big deal as a kid. The Gloucester County Championships. And if you took first place, you got this really cool plaque with, like, a bracket inside of it. And it had your name on it. And so before every tournament, my dad would take me to the trophy room. And he'd show me. He'd be like, hey, listen, that big trophy over there the biggest one with the gold man his wrestling stance on it that's for first place if you want the big trophy you got to win all your matches today right and so i'd be super motivated throughout the day i wanted to bring home the biggest trophy so i could sit it on my he built me a trophy case in my room as a kid and i remember this particular day i got beat in the finals in overtime and so there was a significant drop between the first place trophy and the second place trophy the second place trophy was extremely small, nothing compared to the, the county championship trophy. And so after you walked off the mat in the finals, they'd hand you a little slip. One said champion, the other said runner up. Of course, after losing, I got the runner up slip and I was so embarrassed and just demoralized. I didn't want to pick up my trophy. Right. And so I tried to get it from my, I get tried to get my dad to get my trophy. Right. So I gave him the slip, the runner up slip. And I'm like, dad, could you go and get my trophy? Like, I don't want to get it. With the sniffles, like I'm crying at the time. Like, could you go get my trophy? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, no. He's like, no, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. He's like, I'm not doing your dirty work. If you want the trophy, you go get it. And I'm like, but I, but I really want you to get my trophy. I don't want to get it. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm not getting it. He's like, I'm not getting it. And he like just started heading toward the exit. And he like walked all the way outside. He was like, if you want the trophy, you get it yourself. And I'm like, fine. So I remember we both walked out. And then he was like, I'm not getting it. So you got one last chance to go get it. And then I just ran back inside and got it. <laughs> but I just remember that, like, he, he, he never really cut me. And it's like, he was always, listen, you want to be the best. You want to win. You want to avoid the heartache. 
You got to wrestle harder. You got to prepare harder. You got to compete harder. And that was always something that stuck with me like throughout my entire wrestling career. Well, it seems like both your dad and then your high school coach, while they didn't have a lot of wrestling experience, they taught you how to be you know, a person of character, a person who was you know, a hard worker. And so they distilled in you some of these qualities that are um, – you know, are seen across the board with champions, but you know, yeah, you know, I'm sure you've seen this now with some crazy wrestling dads. I mean, wrestling is such a demanding sport. The weight cutting, you're wrestling almost, you know, ten months a year. Um, yeah. When did it go for you from being something you did in the winter to hey, yeah, you know, I'm wrestling at Fargo every year. I'm wrestling at the highest level. I want to go D1. When did that transition take place for you? I'd say probably about my sophomore year, a high school, like after my sophomore year, I find so. My freshman year didn't even make it to the state tournament. My sophomore year, I made it to the state tournament, didn't place. And so my junior year, like I come from a modest middle-class family. My mom mm-hmm. worked at a union as a pension processor in Philadelphia. My dad's a construction worker. And so like I came from humble beginnings and I knew that if I didn't make something for myself, like at a higher level, I didn't take the necessary precautions and steps to control my destiny, I'd be working construction with my dad not a bad job at all right it's it's a modest living and he does a good job at being a man of integrity and taking care of his family but that was something that he always told me that he didn't want to see of me right he was like listen I wake up at 5 a.m every day I got to put my work boots on and go to work regardless of the conditions outside right so if it's 100 degrees if it's two degrees if it's snowing if it's a heat wave I've got to get to work every single day Right. And I wish the opposite for you. You're a young man. You've got the ability to control your own destiny. You can do whatever you desire to do. All you have to do is stay focused in this period of time. You can be great. My high school wrestling coach, he sat me down one day. He's like, listen, what do you want to do? And of course, the generic answer for me is I, I want to wrestle in college. Like I want to wrestle at the next level. And he's like, impossible. It's impossible that you really want to wrestle at the next level because your work ethic and your academic reports don't display any unison amongst each other. Your goals and your work ethic are not in unison. And so he really was like, listen, I challenge you. I truly challenge you to really compete at your highest level every single day, not just on tournament day, not just when the lights are on, but every single day in practice and training with your diet, with your teammates, with your friends and family. you got to try to compete at a higher level. And so I'd say between my sophomore and junior year, so my sophomore year, I didn't place in the state. My junior year, I took second in the state, right? And so that was when I realized, hey, listen, I'm decent. In New Jersey, there's only one class. So everyone wrestles together. There's no class system dependent upon the size and population of your school. Everyone wrestles together. And so I took second as a junior. I actually lost to Frank Molinaro, Olympian from 2016 in the state finals my junior year. It tells you how tough Jersey is. And then my senior year, I finally went on to win a state championship and I wasn't even like heavily recruited. I wasn't heavily recruited. So I remember I went on zero official visits in the fall of my senior year. Most guys have already made a commitment or they're ready to sign in that early signing period in November. I hadn't even went on an official visit to any school at that point in my wrestling career because I hadn't won a state championship yet. And so after my senior year, I won the States and my high school coach, he was like, listen, you're not getting recruited. No one's giving you a look. We're going to have to pack up and go to senior nationals. This year they were in Pittsburgh, PA, NHSCA senior nationals. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we went and he was like, listen, grab all your stuff, grab your wrestling shoes, grab your singlet, 
Um, I'm going to pack up right now in your truck. We're going to drive out to Pittsburgh. It was like a five-hour drive from my hometown in Jersey, so it wasn't too bad. And we drove out, and I won. And Coach Manning actually happened to be in the stands that day. So Coach Manning's the head coach at the University of Nebraska, Mark Manning. He was there at Senior Nationals that weekend. He saw me compete. And he's like, listen, I want you to come and be a part of my program. We've got some extra scholarship money left, and the rest is history. Rest is history indeed. And so you get out there, you have an unbelievable junior year, undefeated national champion. You're coming into your senior year and you hit a couple couple bumps in the road that probably changed the trajectory of your life. You um and I'll let you get into this, but you know, your your grandfather passed away, which yeah. caused you to miss a match, which was very opportunistic in the sense of the red shirt, right? And then you tear your knee and then you have to come back from from this you know, being the man, and now you're you know starting at square one again. Talk us through that period of your life, and what were some of the big, you know, takeaways for you that have you know, propelled you for the rest of your career? Yeah, that was an interesting time period, but it worked perfectly, right? So the unique thing is going to the University of Nebraska. The NCAA tournament was scheduled to be in Omaha that year at the Quest Center. So really cool. We were right down the road, about forty five minutes from Omaha. I'm like, okay, I'm a senior returning NCAA champion, one of the best guys in the nation. I am going to repeat and be the first two-time NCAA champion in Nebraska history. But it was interesting because that summer, I hadn't really trained as hard in preparation for the following year. I began to get a little complacent. I was happy with what I had done. I thought and expected that since I was an NCAA champion, that guys would just fall down for me, right? They roll over like, man, this bro's kid's good. I'm not going to be able to wrestle my best. And it was the complete opposite, right? These guys were giving me their best shot every single time. Right? And so it was it was just a different level of competition that guys were bringing to me because I was an NCAA champion. And I wasn't prepared for that. Like, I lost my edge. And so that year, I was 7-0 and at the time. And yes, as you said, stayed in your, so you said my, my grandpa had died, right? So it was super crazy. So this is the type of lifestyle that I had. My family always wanted to protect me from any bad news, right? So whether it was my parents were having trouble in their relationship or my dad got laid off from his current job or, you know, they were struggling financially, they'd never tell me. And so this particular time, my grandpa had died and they didn't want to tell me because I had a duel the next week. And so they were trying to protect me, I guess, quote unquote, protect me at this particular time. They're like, listen, you're in season. We don't want you to know about any of this stuff. We'll take care of it. We'll let you know after you wrestle your duel. And so I found out about my grandpa passing away by one of my friends from back home. They text me. He was like, hey, dude, haven't spoke to you in a while, but I just want to let you know that I'm sorry to hear about your grandpa. And I'm like, what? And so I call my mom immediately. I'm like, mom, what the heck? I just got a message from my buddy Vince. He said he was sorry to hear about pop-pop and he, she's like oh yeah like we didn't want to tell you but pop-pop passed away yesterday and so i'm like well what the like you guys how pissed were you me. man i was yeah. i was so angry yo. i was like what the heck like i know i understand and right? i'm in a time period where i've got to stay focused on a lot of things as a young man in college but these are things that i want to know and she's like well his funeral is this weekend and we know you have a match this weekend we didn't want to deter you from doing that so I'm like I'm like no I can't I can't wrestle like I gotta come and be with you guys I want to see pop pop I want to bid him farewell like I gotta be there so she's like okay and so 
I'm going to get online right now and find a plane ticket for you. And so I talked to Coach Man. I went to him immediately like, hey, Coach, my grandpa passed away this past week. And he's having a funeral this weekend. And I just wanted to ask for your permission to miss the duel. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And so went down to Jacksonville, Florida, where he lived for quite some time, went to the funeral. And then the following weekend, we had a duel against Central Michigan right before Christmas. Christmas break against a guy named Steve Brown tore my LCL PCL in the first period dude done for the season right and so shortly after they're like listen we got to apply for a medical red shirt I had never red shirted I wrestled right away and they're like we still think you can qualify for it we're not sure because there's a rule where you can't be over 30 percent of the entirety of your wrestling schedule when you get hurt or have to sit out the rest of the season and so I had eight matches at the time I lost that match in overtime so I was seven and one typically you get about 35 matches in a season and so Mm -hmm. they sent in the application for the red shirt and it came back that that one duel that I had missed to go to my grandpa's funeral was the one match that put me below the 30 percent to actually qualify for a medical red shirt to come back and compete the next season right so I have my grandpa held on and fought his cancer a week longer and I had attended that duel, I wouldn't have qualified for the medical red shirt and I would have had to forfeit my senior year. And I, I don't know how my life would have been, you know, from that point forward. So it was definitely like divine intervention that I got an opportunity to go and see him get qualified for the medical red shirt. In the following year, my senior year, the NCAA championships, instead of being in Omaha, close to Nebraska, they were in Philadelphia, which is close to my hometown in South Jersey. And which is interestingly enough, the place where my wife first saw me and shortly after sent me a friend request on Facebook because she had watched me at the NCAA championships in Philly, right? And four years later, we were married. And so just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, Yeah. And then it completely just changed the direction of my life. And then (laughs) another interesting story is Brian Snyder, who is one of my main coaches at Nebraska now, he actually came between my medical redshirt senior year and my fifth year he arrived he came from arizona state to be at nebraska so he got there my fifth year and ended up becoming one of my main training partners and main coaches as well so just like crazy 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 like highly favored stuff that was it was too much to be coincidence for me and it was uh it was definitely crazy i think it just goes back to and this is something we've heard with past guests is that whatever you perceive to be a uh, obstacle or disadvantage at the time, you know, many times will play out. And if you make the most of it, you can be an opportunity in disguise. And that was certainly the case with you. Like what's your biggest takeaway from that experience? Ooh, I mean, for me, it was a measure of establishing faith through that process. Like there were too many intricate storylines intertwined with each other throughout that series of events for me to feel like it was a coincidence. Like for me, I feel like it was a divine calling from God. Like, Hey, listen, I put you in a position to be great. And since then, like that really was the turning point in my life. I was an NCAA champion in 2009, my junior year, an NCAA runner up the year before, but truly, I don't know if that year had I been able to wrestle through its entirety, would have turned out the way I wanted it to and if I would have had the same momentum, right? I was a 157-pounder that year before I got hurt, right? And once I got hurt, I decided to move up to 74 kilos to prepare for the international stage at 163. I 
got more involved in following my favorite wrestlers. Mark Manning in 2009 I actually went to the world, or excuse me, 2010 went to the world championships. I believe they were in, in either Denmark or Moscow that year. I think they were in Moscow, Russia. And he brought back DVDs from the world championships that year. And Sargush was the two-time returning world champion with me going into 2011. But before that year before, he said, listen, I watch these guys. You can beat these dudes. Here's a DVD of the world championships. There's this guy, Dennis Sargush. He just won a second world championship in a row. I've watched him wrestle. I've watched you wrestle. You can beat this guy. He's like, we want to go into the senior season. You're going to go up to 65. I want to prepare you to be the best wrestler in the world, not just the best in the country. This is small potatoes, right? These are small fish to fry, beating these guys from, you know, Wisconsin and Ohio State and Okie State. Like, you can crush these guys. I want you to dominate here to prepare yourself mentally for the highest level, which is the world championships. We're going to segue you to prepare you to dominate internationally once you're ready. Um, and so, like, that was huge. That was huge for me. He really believed that I was a lot better than I was at the time, and he believed more than I did. I was like, yo, I watched these guys. I can't beat this dude, right? And he was <laughs> he, be he believed in me. He believed in me. It was pretty crazy stuff, but he, he did. So how – all right, so, so let's take it from there. Um, and you overcome the injury and then you go on a crazy winning streak and then you go into some of these world championships and then eventually into uh, the Olympic Games in, in 2012. And you're you're certainly an underdog against these guys from, you know, an, uh, from a spectator's perspective or from, you know, the odds. What kind of you know mindset training did you develop to say, hey, I can I can take these guys down, or how did you build up that confidence uh, to say that I can I can hang with these guys? That's a great question. I would say it was really about believing in my abilities, but also more about just believing in the training that I had put myself through. I knew that after such a successful senior year, where I was a Hodge Trophy winner and I had only given up a handful of takedowns that I was tough, right? I knew that, listen, I've got great stuff for my feet. I've got an amazing double leg. I've got a good amount of mental toughness. My conditioning is top notch and second to none. If I can just stay within striking distance at any match, I can always compete and win. Like there's never been a particular time in my entire life, even within the five losses I've taken in my international career where I felt like outmatched. I always feel like if someone's beating me, it's either because of a mental lapse or a lack of preparation in terms of preparing myself mentally to compete at the highest level on that particular day or, you know, a well-scouted opponent that just was able to stymie me one particular sequence. And so I knew that I could compete and I knew that I was capable of winning. And so that was really it. I was like, naive. I was naive, right? Naivety and Ignorance is bliss sometimes at the time. I didn't know what those guys had. Like, I'd seen them wrestle on videos, but, like, international wrestling at the time where you just had the three two-minute periods, most guys didn't even do much the entire time. And so I knew they were, like, tactical. I watched Sargush. I'm like, all right, this guy's tactical, right? He's got a good single leg. He's not, like, a particular great athlete, but he's tough, he's gritty, and he can wrestle good well through, like, numerous positions. And I'm like, if I can just avoid the scrambling – if I can just keep my hands at home, if I can keep them off my singlet, right, and get to man, don't get me started there, JB. <laughs> don't get me started, man. I, I I've I seen I that one. Compete. I knew I could compete, and so like I was, 
I went into the tournament like, yo, the only reason that these guys have won is because I haven't wrestled here yet. I knew I could beat them. That's it, man. What do you? It was cool. It was fun. What do you? So you're, you know, you're maybe an hour, hour and a half out from the match, uh, from any match, right? The Olympic finals, the quarterfinals against Sargush, whatever. Um, what's your self talk like? What are you thinking? Are you thinking about what you're gonna do? Are you just completely zen and calm? Um, you know, Hicks and Gracie, the great Brazilian jiu-jitsu master, he has this thing called empty mind, where he's ready for anything, anything that comes at him. He has no expectations. Yeah. What is your, what are you thinking an hour and a half, hour up before the match? I was scared to death, believe it or not, because <laughs> like I knew like that night before. So you get the layout of the land the night before in freestyle wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. You get to pick your ball, you get a number on it. So the cool thing about the weigh-ins is. I drew the number one, right? That was my number that I drew from over a hundred numbers. I think there's numbers from one to a hundred. I picked the ball out of the bag. It was number one, right? So for me, that was like a precursor, like, dang, this is really cool. Maybe this is an awesome, you know, thought process going into tomorrow. I'm prepared. I can be number one. But then shortly after, so I got my, my number. I was number one. I was at the very top of the bracket. I went back home after weigh-ins, got some food chilled they posted the brackets online and one of my buddies he came over to my room he's like yo super like somber sad attitude i'm like what what the heck what's going on he's like did you see your draw and i'm like no what's up he's like yo you got sargoosh your second match and i'm like stop playing and he's like no really like you got sargoosh your second match so i'm like crap i'm like i gotta wrestle this guy right away this stinks. I didn't even get the chance to get my feet wet, like get deep into the tournament, anything. I got to wrestle this dude right away. But within that, like I was like, maybe this is a good thing, right? I tried to spin it. Like maybe it's a good thing. If I beat him, then every other match for the rest of the day will be easier, or at least I believe, right? Because I, I thought he was the best guy in the bracket. And so my coaches, they were confident. They're like, listen, sat me down. You got Sargu's second match. Let's watch a few of his videos. Let's prepare for these things. So he's going to grab your single. He's going to shoot a sweep to your left side hit your left leg right he's gonna dive underneath he's get get your hands locked he's gonna build up and try to finish he's a great scrambler and the thing that you have over him is you are well conditioned you can wrestle harder you've got to make the match a battle you got to make it a shootout you're gonna give up takedowns you're gonna give up scores but you just got to keep shooting keep shooting he can't hang with you he can't he's not in better shape than you he doesn't believe as much as you do and he didn't even know who you are he just thinks you're just some random black guy from the u.s and so it's been a long time since there's been a high level guy with my type of speed and athleticism in America that's wrestled, right? Before me, it was maybe it was Joe Williams, and that was in, you know, years before. Powerful Joe Williams, man. So, Powerful Joe Williams. And yeah, so it was uh, it was perfect timing, man. It was it was just great timing. I was blessed to be in that opportunity. I believed I could win, and in a battle, absolute battle, I was able to prevail. And then I still had like multiple tough matches throughout that day. It was funny. I remember my girlfriend at the time, she sent me a message on Facebook, like right after I beat Sargus, like, congratulations, world champion. Like you did it. I'm like, I still got three more matches. <laughs> so that's just the start. The day, that, like, yeah, it was crazy. That, that, um, bracket kind of, uh, mentality of, of taking down the top guys is funny. Cause I know that you're a fan of, of Federer and Serena and I played tennis in college and they say, if you don't play Federer in the first, second round and beat him, you're not going to beat it. Like once he gets to the finals, quarterfinals, like he's in such a rhythm, you're not going to take him down. So maybe it was actually better to take down Sargush early while he was, you know, 
potentially underestimating you. Yeah. Um, but then you make it through everything. You you overcome the odds. You're on the um, you know, you have the gold medal around your neck, the American flag around your back. Like, what is that feeling like? That is something that point I don't even know. Point zero 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 one percent of people will ever feel in their life. What is that like? Indescribable, man. Indescribable. Being an Olympic champion is. It's really the realization of years of dreams. Like, my parents were so proud. They were so proud because, like, they watched the Olympics their entire lives. But you never think that your son is going to be at the Olympic Games. And if he is, that in itself is the reward, right? So to actually see me win it and to know that this is the highest level at which a wrestler can do it at, it's like the pinnacle of our sport. They were pumped. They were pumped. I was excited. I knew all my friends back at home was watching. Like my entire town rallied behind me. They'd have signs at our local ice cream shop and our pizza shop <laughs> window and all, a sign at our Wawa, like all these crazy stuff. Like everyone was excited for me. And it was really an entire nation and city behind me. And so it was cool. It was super cool, man. And that's why I continuously pursue it. Like being at the Olympic Games is such a cool event. I, I, Hope that every wrestler gets the experience. Obviously, the realization of that is very, very slim with only six weight classes at the Olympic Games. But it's such a cool event, man. I had great teammates, met some of my best friends, lifelong friends at the Olympic Games. And yeah, bro, to be with some of the best in the world, like we were walking side by side with Serena and Kobe and Michael Phelps and all these amazing athletes that you only see on TV. Like I only see these guys on TV. I'm like side by side wearing the same outfit. Like getting the same recognition, the amount of camera time, like it was crazy. Like you are considered one of the best in the world, and so no longer are we the taboo, small niche sport and the misfits and the outliers. We are a part of one greater whole, and that's the USA. And so everyone pays a great amount of attention to us as well. The attention that we finally deserve, even though it's only once every four years, it was cool. I'll tell you. Well, and we we could have a whole podcast on just the Olympic Games, but I want to. Uh... I want to fast forward four years after the Olympics. You set the wrestling world on fire. You win several world titles in between. Yep. I mean, just on you go to wrestling tournaments, your banners everywhere. You have your own wrestling shoe. Um, it's something like the wrestling world's never seen probably since, you know, John Smith or, or Kenny Monday or even Dan Gable, right? Un- yep. Unbelievable. You go into 2016, you know, there's still some tough Russians, but far and away, you're looking to be, one of the few repeat Olympic gold medalists and it doesn't go that way. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's a, you know, probably a heartbreaking thing for you. What was that? Can you just describe what happened? And then what was, what was your mentality? Like, you know, like the day or two after that Olympic games, man, I, that was tough dude. It's, it's very tough. Is it still tough to this day, even though you've come back and won a world title. Absolutely. It's, okay. it's still tough. Nothing could ever, rectify the feeling that I had after losing that event just because like I wanted to win so bad and I thought I was prepared I think right like the quality of some of the best athletes in the world is the ability to forget right LeBron James is I think three and five and excuse me NCAA or NBA finals I think uh you know Kobe was five and two in the finals Roger Federer Pete Sampras and Rafael Nadal and Serena Williams and Tiger Woods, they've all won at such a high level, significant level, but they've also lost in the finals of the Wimbledon, finals of the, you know, 
French Open, U.S. Open. And so, like, they come back and compete regardless of how they felt at that particular time. And it's tough. They want to win. It's going to be a difficult process to recover. But I think for me, it was most difficult because of the expectation and because I only get to do it once every four years. Right? LeBron's been the eight straight finals and he can repeat every year. Right? Serena's won 22 Grand Slams and she's got four every year that she can compete in. And I understood that the body of work that I had put in over this last quad was so significant and it prepared me for a repetitive performance of what I did in London. I felt like a significantly better wrestler, but I think that I had lost focus for a short period of time in preparation for the Olympic Games. I thought that I was ready, right? And so it got to a point where it was less about the improvement and more about the maintenance, right? I was like, I already have what it takes to be an Olympic champion again. I've already beaten Godoyev at the World Championships the previous year. I beat him in Beat the Streets a few years ago. I've beaten everyone else in the weight class. I just got to maintain what I'm already capable of, and I can beat these guys. And within that lack of hunger, that lack of fire was it allowed for me to allow in a little bit of fear, right? And I've always been a wrestler that if when I'm wrestling at my best, I'm just an absolute hammer. Yeah. Right? No regard to <laughs> the, the decency of my opponent. You just right? go I just ham. Want, I just want to kill him. I want to kill him. That's, I'm a killer. Yeah. I want to beat him up. Fuck I want to yeah. score as many points. And I want to make sure that that dude never wants to wrestle me again. Right. And I think that when I arrived at the Olympic Games, I'm like, okay, well, it's going to be tough. I'm excited. But there's also so much online, right? There's a large portion of money. There's large amount of sponsors. And within that, it was just it was just a weird, weird thing. Like, right? it's, it's, so, it's so hard to pinpoint, right? I've spent the last two years just trying to figure out what the heck happened. But mostly because... I've been in tough matches and I've had the ability to shift the momentum typically in a cl- if there if there's a match where it's close and all I need is a takedown I always get that takedown. But if you watch any of the matches that I compete in very rarely do I lose the close ones. I'm always I'm always able to score when necessary, right? When the heat's on and we need a bucket I'm always the guy that takes the last shot and I usually make it. And so like, yeah. I, I felt like I could win throughout the match, but you know, I didn't, I didn't go, it didn't go that way for me. And so afterward, immediately I was just like, yo, what, what just happened? Like what just, it was one of those things like, what just happened? I can't believe this is over. Like I went home and like everything went back to normal and it just left me with my, the realization that I hadn't accomplished my goals and I had to wait another four years to do it and that my legacy would be forever tarnished because that was the first tournament and the only tournament that I hadn't placed in since I was like a soft, uh, since, since 2008. The first tournament I hadn't placed in since 2008, right? Well, it's a totally different mindset, like you said, man, where you're 2012, you're going in, chip on your shoulder, no one expects anything, Versus the, quite literally, the exact opposite in 2016 where it's almost like you have everything to lose, the money, the endorsements, the 
the the you know second straight gold medal um it's a crazy different mentality that you have there so man that must it, it just is a lot of pressure um to overcome and then you go back to kind of square one and we know that you were able to rebound from that this year um so i'd love to hear where your head's at now how you've been able to take it to the pinnacle you take a step back but then you keep moving forward and then you know what's what's the game plan for the next few years i know that you want to become uh the wing the winningest american wrestler of all time overtake john smith i think you have two more world titles to do that there's the games in 2020 we want to see you there but what's the plan there moving forward yeah man you know what's interesting is immediately after the olympics in rio so i went back to the crib and it was such a unique space right because immediately after winning the gold in london in 2012 like there was this whirlwind media tour like i flew straight from london to la to be on the jay leno show right i was welcomed by reporters and family and friends i had a parade in my hometown i was invited to speaking engagements and doing wrestling camps and sporting events to throw out the first pitch and to be announced out on the field and it was such a lonely travel home it was almost like i had the scarlet letter right i was that guy like where everyone was sad and they felt empathetic i went from being one of the best athletes in the world excited about my ability to perform and what i was going to be able to do in rio and my competitive nature to I felt like super feeble and vulnerable. Like I didn't want to be seen. I literally like you've seen the Snickers commercials, like want to get away or Southwest, Southwest commercials. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so like that was me. Like I wanted, I literally wanted to hide. I felt vulnerable everywhere that I went. Like I didn't, I because I knew everyone had watched. Right, like it's different when you fail at home. Right, whether it's in your marriage or in your parenthood or any particular endeavor that you don't get the job. Like typically it's in privacy no one sees it but like my biggest failure my entire life has been public for millions to see that camera shoved in my face while i was crying right i didn't accomplish my goals and so i felt vulnerable for a long time it took me a long time to be like confident in myself again right a lot of my confidence came from my wrestling and so i was it was really a shot at my ego and my my identity and all those things this could be a dumb question, but did you ever think right after that loss when you're at your most vulnerable, like, man, you know what? I wish I didn't even win 2012 because then I wouldn't have had this expectations and I would have never felt like this. Or is that just a, kind of a crazy thought because 2012 was such a, an amazing moment in your life? Yeah, briefly you do. Briefly you like, man, how could I have escaped this? You know, like, because you sometimes you want to be normal, right? You just want to be normal. Like, man, I wish... I was normal and no one cared what I did, right? I wish it wasn't so meaningful to, you know, have to go to my Twitter page and see all the mentions about, you know, how I blew it or, you know, how I, I'm not as good as I once was or, you know, how I ruined my potential, whatever the case may have been. Like, it was just a very difficult thing. So I hit out. Like, I didn't want to go to the wrestling room for a long time. I didn't want to train anymore. I was contemplating like retiring just because I was so embarrassed. I didn't even want to ever be back in a wrestling setting. I never wanted to be in a wrestling setting again because I knew that people knew what had happened to me. They watched me fail and that they secretly 
you know, always thought about it in my presence. It was like a big, <laughs> big sign above my head. This dude just lost the Olympics. And so that was tough. That was really Well, tough. I can promise you that folks, you remember you for, you for a lot of things and the loss is probably the last thing they think of. At least that's the case with me. You know, when I'm ever waking up early and I'm feeling lazy, I don't want to work out. I go to your Instagram. I go to the rocks, Instagram. I go to Joe Rogan's Instagram to get that motivation. So, awesome. uh, you know, that, that's something you've done for me and a lot of folks. You know, what has wrestling taught you about life in general? And, and how do you use that every day? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say really it's taught me to discipline myself at the highest level. And so I think really. Daddy! <laughs> this is my little girl, Aura. You say hi. And so it's, it's taught me about discipline, truly. Like it's helped me build a lot of characteristics that I need to do things at a high level discipline and commitment so like i don't love wrestling every single day there are days where it's mundane and tedious going and learning the same techniques and working over the same move sets and doing the same workouts with the same training partners in the same room twice a day for six months in a row preparing for the world championships like that can become very tedious for me and that's a, that's a difficult thing to do, but it's taught me to commit because my commitment to excellence is stronger than my love for the sport at times. Coming in hot with Olympic gold medalist, Jordan Burroughs. We love you, JB. Hope you guys like listening to this one. If you'd like to support the TR Talk podcast, which unbiasedly, I would highly recommend you do. You can do so by going over to iTunes, hitting the subscribe button, leaving us a review, ideally five stars, write us something nice. Hey, maybe we'll read it in one of our episodes. Maybe not. Not too sure. Or you can share it out on social media um, and share it with your friends and family. On our next episode coming on Thursday, five-time NBA world champ Bill Cartwright from the Chicago Bulls. He knows a person you may have heard of. I don't know, Michael Jordan? Yeah, he played with him and coached him. So stay tuned for that. Till next time, out.